0: going on everyone welcome back to another episode of Clee talk presented by fenley i am your host bob i'm hanging out talking my favorite hometown cleveland sports with my older brother chris chris what's going on man
1: not much bob my my vocal cords aren't aren't feeling good today i, I think i need to rest this this podcast i think i'm gonna have to <laughs> let you handle it and uh i want to sit down is that okay uh have you had a lot of back to back podcasts a lot going? of back to backs this weekend <laughs> a lot of talking uh fantasy baseball drafts so a lot of talking there uh had to yeah. do a lot of shadowing too so that was fun uh so yeah <laughs> i i need to sit i need to sit this one out man it's kind of crazy all
0: right well let me get permission from a uh, abc and espn to make sure that that's okay with them <laughs>
1: I wish you had to get permission from ABC and yeah ESPN. That would be pretty sweet.
0: <laughs> yeah, that, that would uh, be good news for us for sure. Well, if you haven't picked up on uh, the jokes that Chris and I are making right now, over the weekend, our favorite Cleveland Cavaliers got the band back together, Kyrie, Kevin Love, LeBron James, all in uniform. Uh, looked prime for, for a nice Saturday night showdown with the LA Clippers on ABC Uh, And then they announced that all three of them would would not be playing in that game. They would sit Love, sit LeBron, and sit Kyrie for that game. Needless to say, uh, anybody not a fan of the Cleveland Cavaliers uh, is upset with that. And probably uh, I would imagine some people that – associate with the Cavs weren't too happy either, but uh, Ty, Ty Lu stuck to his guns, rested those big three, and uh, the rest of the basketball world was up in arms about it. Chris, this marks the second weekend in a row where ABC had a primetime draw of some of the best teams uh, in the league, uh, and none of the stars were really playing. Uh, two weeks ago, we had uh, San Antonio versus Golden State, and uh, by my count, the top eight players on those teams did not play in that game. Uh, Needless to say, the league isn't happy about this. There are uh, divisive opinions about rest and and how it should be played out uh, throughout the NBA season. But Chris, just from Saturday night's perspective, did you have a problem with Ty resting the big three?
1: Absolutely not. I don't. It's not just as a Cavs fan. I didn't have a problem when Greg Popovich was doing it all these years and continues to do it. I didn't have a problem when the Warriors did it last week. I don't have a problem when teams do what's in their best interest for the long-term goal of contending. And that's just the reality of the situation. The NBA absolutely cannot step in and start regulating when teams rest their players because that, that that's a slippery slope to go down. That is certainly not the solution. I don't think anyone's suggesting that that is the solution. Uh, so, so no, I have absolutely no problem with it, but I can understand why the TV networks would be really mad about it because they've paid record amounts of money. As we know, the salary cap keeps going up. That is why it keeps going up. <laughs> networks right. like TNT and ABC have injected piles and piles of money into the NBA to use an analogy our dad uses, uh, they just keep taking wheelbarrows of money and dumping it on Adam Silver's front lawn. It's it's getting... So when you invest that kind of money in a product, you want the best possible product on the floor. Like if LeBron James tears his ACL, there's nothing you can do about that. And Knocking on wood right now. But when they choose to arrest everyone, not even one superstar out for the show... Uh, that that that's a big problem for the networks. It's also a big problem for the fans because uh, in the Western Conference, there was a game in Memphis earlier uh, where the Cavs made their only appearance in Memphis and the big three didn't even travel with the team. They were resting. So if you're a fan and you only get one chance to see LeBron James and, and he doesn't play because of a DNP designation, uh, that's very frustrating because ticket prices aren't getting any cheaper. Uh, so... At, from a fan and network perspective, it's a big problem. But from a team perspective, they have to do what's best for them. I, I think there are a variety of solutions, Bob, but, but um, do you agree with that?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as a fan, I have no problem. As a fan of the Cavs, I I, I was happy that they, they were arrested. Um, I, I think it's funny that this uh, game in particular is the one where the debate about this to rest or not to rest has seemed to... Have been elevated to a higher level it's it's been a debate and uh, it seems to always cause an issue uh, you know once or twice a year where a nationally televised game is uh, reduced to a a garbage game because one of the teams punts and rests their players but for some reason this got a little bit elevated and i think that's funny because you know the Cavs had legitimate reasons for resting all three of those guys uh kyrie hurt his knee in the previous game they were going on the road they wanted to give him the night off. Kevin Love has been on a minutes restriction since sh- since coming back. Uh, you know, you want to monitor his knee as well. And LeBron has has you know logged record high minutes played per game this year uh, when he's past thirty. So you know he is always deserving of some rest. So for for this to be the catalyst of ratcheting up the dialogue uh, uh, about resting players, I I, th- I find it a little bit odd because this is one of the most justified times to rest those three guys. Um, that being said, you know, the, the only side for, uh, for this debate that I empathize with is the fan that, uh, you're a, a displaced Cleveland fan, or you're just a LeBron fan living on the West coast or in a Western conference city, you have one chance to see him play. And, you know, the, the Cavs charge a, a premium when they hit the road, uh, they they the teams jack up the prices because LeBron is coming to town and and he's bringing his superstar friends. Um, so I, I empathize with the fans, especially the, the younger fans, that you know this might be their one chance to see him play, and they're stuck with Richard Jefferson starting in his place. That is heartbreaking and a disappointment. I don't feel bad for the networks. Yes, they have dumped piles of cash uh, upon the league and expect these marquee matchups, but. They also have all the rights for these playoff games and the rest is to directly impact the playoff games and to have those players available for the playoff games. I think uh, any network official would rather have LeBron hundred percent healthy for their playoff run uh, as opposed to having him play in this Saturday night game and then injuring himself, taking himself out of the playoffs. So uh, you know, networks, I, I, I get it. They want their ratings and this certainly hurt them, but uh, you got to think about the long game for them, um, and then from the player side, I mean, the 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 only way you're you're gonna get rid of these guys being able not not being rested is if you given on some concessions. That would be eliminating back-to-back games, shortening the schedule, or you know lengthening the 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 length of the 82 game schedule. Which I I think all three of those are, are pretty unlikely. So this is just the situation that we are in. I have no problem with what the Cavs did uh on my level. Chris what what can the NBA do to to fix this problem if uh if that uh, it needs to go away?
1: Well, before I answer, first off, I agree 100%. The fans always get caught in the crosshairs, so I feel for them the most. I don't feel any sympathy for the multi-billion dollar networks at all uh because they're still making money off the NBA and as you said, they have the playoffs as well so it's the fans that lose the biggest as usual but to answer your question uh, there's a very simple solution they could cut the regular season down by 10 to 20 games that would be the one I would get behind I don't think the owners would embrace that idea at all because that means uh, money left on the table Uh, you know that Pandora's box has already been open this the season's going to stay at 82 games until it's financially irresponsible for them to play Uh, 82 games. So I don't see them cutting games out of the regular season, even though that's the solution I would prefer, because I think the NBA overall could benefit from a shorter postseason and a shorter regular season. They they play. I mean, Bob, Bob, you and I every year say, "Man, it's basketball season already." That's because it goes from like mid October till June, mid June. I mean, it's like eight eight months out of the year. It it just does it. It's the quickest turnaround of all the sports because it just drags on for so long. We joke all the time about the regular season being next to meaningless. Uh, They could benefit from cutting some time out of the regular season, and that would help their problem. I think the the only solution where everybody wins is moving up the start of the regular season to October first and cutting the preseason down to nothing a I don't think you need preseason basketball most teams treat the beginning of the regular season as it Bob I don't think that any of the Cavs starters played in any of the preseason games this year so clearly the Cavs didn't need it uh they could cut preseason basketball and start the regular season October 1st um Again, not ideal. I think they need less, not more. But we know they're not going to leave money on the table. So at least spread it out to the point where you have, most of the time, two days off between games. And maybe instead of a group of back-to-backs, you're talking about a group of one-day resting. The other thing they could do is, and I know they already tried to do this, but do it even more to an extreme where the Cavs go to the West Coast and maybe play 10 games on the West Coast instead of just five or six. Like they go all up and down California. And that way you're not flying cross country as much. Reduce air travel because you saw with Chris Bosh. Now this is a very extreme case. But, but tons and tons of air travel is not good for your body. You're, you're exposing it to high altitude. It's strenuous. You're shifting time zones. Those are not good things for your health. And the NBA logs more air minutes than any other league. I read an article about it. I think it was before last season. It was pretty interesting. Uh, they they should do a better job of trying to restrict these long cross-country flights uh, to a very, very bare minimum. Now, again, they do a decent job, but they, they could take it up a notch and maybe schedule longer extended stays on the West Coast for the Cavs so that way they're not flying as frequently. I think both of those things are reasonable solutions that could be implemented. I I, I have no doubt that eventually the NBA regular season will start on October 1st because when the networks start to complain, the NBA usually reacts.
0: Yeah, I think those are all valid points. Uh, I I agree with you. Uh, I don't think... If money is going to get left on the table, the the season is not going to be adjusted and, and, you know, games are not going to be cut. You know, I I think that the the season could be shortened and you could also get rid of the first round of the playoffs. Uh, I think that would be fantastic and it would also add meaning to the regular season if you eliminate uh, some playoff berths and there would be more intense jockeying for position and whatnot. Amen. Um, Again, you know, playoff ticket money is, is even more lucrative than regular season money. So that's not, that's never going to happen. That's a, that's more unlikely than reducing the length of the regular season. I think that's what you're going to say uh, or, or chip in on that. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't see that happening. Um, I I think the idea of extending or getting rid of the preseason and, um, you know, lengthening the, the regular season, that's a compromise. The, the only way I see, you know, this issue going away 100% completely is if in the next CBA, the the players are willing to make a concession, which would be, you know, leave money on the table for them for a shorter season. Uh, And I find that unlikely as well. So I I think this is just the reality that we're stuck with. Um, Again, you said it, uh, I said it, uh, the fans are the ones that suffer the most. I think uh, if you are a fan of the NBA, you need to be conscientious of your favorite team schedule if they're playing a back-to-back and the second game is on the road uh there's a high chance that your favorite player is not going to play that game especially if uh you know the the first matchup was against a very you know a a better opponent and they're going to log extra minutes you can make an assumption that they're not going to play that game especially you know we've seen these uh back-to-backs where it's against the same opponent that seems to be a very key spot where, where players are rested. I think, unfairly, fans are just going to have to take more responsibility in kind of predicting when these rest days are going to happen and uh, avoid buying tickets.
1: Bob, I was looking up some old-timers on Basketball Reference, and what's amazing to me is that Carl Malone in 19 seasons played 80, at least 80 games 17 of those seasons. One of of those seasons, he only played 42 in his last season with the Lakers. He played 49 in 99. Every other year was 80 games at least. Michael Jordan played 82 games a ton as well. Looking at him right now, his last three seasons, 82, 82, 82, all starts. Um, During the three-peat, he played at least 78, only once under 80. So... You look back in the day, these guys used to play. It, it was a different league back then. I'm not trying to, to make an apples-to-apples apples apples comparison here, but I do think if you move up the start date to October 1st, give them an extra month, that completely eradicates back-to-backs. It gives you more time in between games. It gives you more time to recover from long flights. The average rest will probably more like one-and-a-half to two days between games. I think that would cut down a lot of the rest because, uh, excuse me, yeah, a lot of the, the skipping games for rest. So I think that solution comes very close to solving the problem. Uh, you're right, Bob. It's never going to eradicate it uh, because I, I do. I mean, you're still talking about playing basketball from October through April. There are going to be nights where teams are just going to be like, look, man, we don't want to push you too hard. But. I would not be surprised to see that happen because, and and, but I disagree slightly. I don't think they're going to need to concede too much in the CBA um, for this because I think both sides want this to happen, the networks, the players. Once the players get the networks on their side and the NBA is quick to react, Uh, so I do think that will happen, but I understand your point about cutting games for the regular season. That's not going to happen. I would love your solution to come through. I would love a 60-game regular season and a three-round playoff. Because I think far too many teams make the playoffs. There are at least five to six teams that don't belong there every year. And I think it would make it all better, higher quality, if it was a shorter regular season with fewer teams in the playoffs. Because then you have more meaningful regular season games and fewer spots to qualify. Uh, it certainly would help the game overall. But but that's just not going to happen. There's just way too much money from a TV standpoint. Cutting out a first round would be awful. And from a gate standpoint, they'd lose too much money at the gate. So, so it's that's not going to happen. Yeah, I,
0: I don't think so either. Um, man, I, I almost bought tickets to that Memphis game this year and uh, you know booked a hotel and everything. But I saw that they were playing Memphis at home the night before, and I was like, maybe – because I, I bought preseason tickets to a Memphis game two years ago, and the big three didn't even travel – um, that was the first year LeBron was back, so I was really disappointed. But um, I, I learned my lesson then. And I thought maybe they were going to get benched, and it turned out that they didn't even travel. So I felt pretty smart in that situation. Um, so I, I, I totally I, again, I just I empathize with fans getting uh, screwed out of this situation.
1: All I gotta say is Bob, anyone who buys an NBA preseason ticket, you've got to know that that it's like Russian roulette. It's like roulette, man it's just you you don't know what's going to happen there I, our, our mutual friend alex had season tickets the year lebron came back and and part of that is you get a preseason game he showed up and left the game 1 minute into it because he just was like okay nobody's playing <laughs> <laughs> he just like i don't think i could even sell these tickets because it's, everyone knows that preseason basketball is just uh, who knows what's going to happen and most of the the big guns just don't even show up for it because like i said lebron yeah. views october november and december as his preseason Like, let's just be real here all the contending teams view those months as their true preseason well that debate uh will certainly i i don't think this is the last we'll see of players
0: getting rested <laughs> in this season uh, i was looking at the cast schedule i think there's a likelihood that uh, there's a game in Chicago after a back to back that's on TNT that that I could see them being rested for again so uh this is not the last time this debate will surface and I'm sure that um it'll continue into uh the off season as as the league explores ways to uh compromise for everybody and make everybody happy um but zooming out to to the news a little bit uh checking in on the Americans in the World Baseball Classic uh, lost to the, the, the Dominicans earlier in, in the tournament, uh, but won when it counted and have now adva- advanced to the knockout stages. Uh, they are now playing in the semifinal, the World Baseball Classic. Uh, the Americans are, are set to to possibly have the highest finish they've ever had in a WBC. Chris, uh, for, for this team, the roster wasn't top-heavy with the, the best American talent, but um, this this has been the best-performing American squad we've seen so far. Are are you surprised by that?
1: Uh, I'm very surprised because the Dominican Republic always seems to have a dominant team. The United States have struggled against both them and Japan historically. So to see the U.S. get back to the semifinals uh, to tie their best finish in this thing and have a pretty legitimate shot at winning it, um, you know, I, I understand, you know, Puerto Rico has been really good and Japan is always tough. But once you get to the semifinals, knockout round, I mean, anything can happen. It's baseball. Uh, certainly when you've beaten the Dominican Republic, you have announced yourself as a contender because defending champs, a dominant program, you look at their roster, it's insane. Uh, yeah, I think the U.S. could win it. Now, now they're going against my wish of losing fast so Andrew Miller won't get hurt, but I, I don't care. I mean, I think it would be kind of cool to finally see the United States perform well in this tournament i mean the expectations on this team is always high because it's the united states man it's where baseball comes from it is originated uh, i think the expectations for the u.s team has always been to win this thing and it would be nice for them to finally break through and uh, bring home the crown
0: yeah for sure you read about the the americans playing representing team usa this year and they definitely have a chip on their shoulder because uh, they weren't the first people asked, and you know a lot of people just wrote this squad off because it, it doesn't have, you know, it doesn't have Mike Trout, doesn't have Clayton Kershaw on it. Um, I think they're playing with a little bit of chip on their shoulder, kind of like how we always see the American soccer squad play uh, in the World Cup, and I think that that kind of is infectious and it, it makes it fun to watch. Uh, Giancarlo Stanton's home run was a moonshot and Adam Jones home run robbery was fantastic. I think that was a great game against the Dominican Republic. And that might be a a definitive moment for the world baseball classic being relevant in the U S which I think it it has not caught on uh, as the MLB would hope. And so, so possibly this could be a a galvanizing moment for it.
1: And yeah, it needs to have a big tournament this year because there are rumblings that this could be the last incarnation of it. If the, uh, sort of excitement around it doesn't pick up. I, I I've read a couple of articles that say that there is a serious consideration for pulling the plug going forward. Would kind of be a shame if this was the tournament that started to break through and then they pulled the plug. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, I you know at the end of the day it's all about the bottom line. So if they don't you know perform in the ratings or the uh, tickets or whatever whatever they use to measure this thing by if they don't perform well uh it could be the last time we see it well uh
0: two rounds in my bat bracket is completely busted i don't know about you but uh, my duke pick is not looking so hot um chris how were the first two rounds of the ncaa basketball tournament for you
1: well i still got my finalists in there i got uh, i got gonzaga and kentucky still alive villanova lost and louisville lost uh Unfortunately, even though I picked Kentucky, I wanted Wichita State to win. I love the Shockers. Fun team. Uh, I wanted Kent State to win, too. That would have been awesome if they had been UCLA. That was a bit more of a long shot. Um, But but the team that's caught my eye, and, and I know Ohio State fans might groan, but Michigan, man, that is a team playing possessed right now. Every year we see this sort of team catching fire late. And it started in the Big Ten tournament with their air travel situation, a very scary situation where their plane kind of got grounded on the runway. Um, Everything turned out okay for them, obviously. They're they're still playing basketball. They get to the Big Ten tournament late, and they end up winning the whole thing. And then they've kind of just taken that into this NCAA tournament here. Um, If there's any team left that feels like a team of destiny, it is Michigan. And the other thing I've taken note is, I'm one of the biggest Big Ten defenders in the world, and even I was bashing them going into this thing. To have three teams in the Sweet 16 is pretty vindicating for a league who really got, and deservedly so, disrespected all year uh, because they just it was a down year in the regular season for the Big Ten. That doesn't change anything, but the league came out and said, you know what, we're a little bit better than maybe you thought we were.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think that ha- has certainly become apparent. Uh, Purdue, Wisconsin, and, and, and Michigan, Michigan, Wisconsin, uh, having two of the three biggest upsets of the tournament so far. So uh, th- that certainly is impressive um, and and a, a big storyline. Um, you know, the the South Carolina Duke game. I thought that was really intense. Um, you and I were both right on our upset picks uh, over the podcast. I, I was pretty impressed by the two of us with, with our middle Tennessee pick and our Xavier pick um, coincidentally against big 10 teams, but uh, Wisconsin and and Michigan are making people forget about those early round losses. Um, yeah, it's been, it's been interesting. I think this sweet 16 has a kind of unique blend of uh, upsets and, and, you know, big powers still in play. I think it's, it, it's been a, a good tournament so far.
1: Yeah. That's why I picked those upsets because they were playing big 10 teams. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I'll admit it. I mean, look, Middle Tennessee State came in, uh, a very popular upset pick. A 12-5 always happens. And Xavier, I thought, was underseeded as an 11 seed. I mean, Xavier and Wichita State... And Dayton, I thought, got really disrespected just because they don't play in traditional power conferences, e- even though I think the Big East brand is considered a power conference. So I don't know why Xavier was seeded so low. Uh, it seemed a little weak to me. But, hey, they're not complaining. They're in the Sweet 16. I don't think they're going to complain about their seed anymore, Bob. So, uh, you know, it, yeah, the first round was actually really lame. The top four seeds all made it through. And then the chaos erupted in the second round. Yeah,
0: most of the upsets and and the shocking things obviously happened in that second round when Louisville Duke and uh, Villanova all lost. So, um, yeah, I agree with you. The first round, you know, I just had a general excitement of watching the tournament Um, after those first two days, though. I I agree Um, besides perhaps those two upset games and the the Michigan-Oklahoma State game, um, you know, I, I didn't come away with it thinking like that was a fantastic March madness, but uh, the second round definitely uh, made up for that with some of those big upsets for sure.
1: Rhode Island was also a fun first round team. See them getting through and Northwestern getting its first ever NCAA tournament win was also a very fun storyline. Even though there was a little controversy against Gonzaga, it was still fun to see Northwestern not just show up to the dance, but actually advance as well.
0: Yeah. And also a very fortuitous ending to their first game against Vanderbilt. Uh, with that foul so um yeah that was that was cool to see them advance and win a game though
1: yeah you know what I, I actually completely forgot about that that foul that Vanderbilt committed so you know what it evens out Northwestern maybe got a little hosed against Gonzaga but they did get a very fortuitous break against Vanderbilt um now you know it happens but it it does even out
0: yeah definitely well, uh, Sweet 16 Elite 8 action happening the, this upcoming weekend. We will certainly keep you posted and, and check back in on that tournament. Um, going back to baseball, though, and the spring training with the Cleveland Indians, I uh, got a little bit of a mixed bag right now uh, some good news and some bad news. We'll start with the good Michael Brantley uh, is currently making his debut right now as we record against the Dodgers in spring training. Uh, last time I checked, he had a RBI single and a run scored. So that is good news that Michael Brantley is participating in games now. Uh, also, Bradley Zimmer is having a fantastic spring training, uh, two home runs, 11 RBIs, four stolen bases, and a three forty-eight batting average. So that's the good news. The bad news, uh, Jason Kipnis is expected to miss about an extra four to five weeks due to a, an inflamed shoulder. So that puts his uh, return for mid-April, maybe late-April. Um, and then Cody Anderson is going to miss the entire 2017 season with an elbow injury. Um, Chris, that's a little bit of a mixed bag. Uh, two really good pieces of information. And then Jason Kipnis uh, going down with another shoulder injury, just like Michael Brantley of last year. Uh, th- that that gives me some concern.
1: Uh, yeah, and then the, the, the rumblings of Carlos Carrasco having some arm problems too. Uh, certainly not good. Um, yeah, Kipnis, Kipnis it, it looks like he'll miss – Maybe the first one or one or two weeks of the season, so not too bad. But, but again, I hope that because last year they thought when Brantley got hurt with his shoulder that it was only going to be the first month, came back, wasn't the same. Maybe he rushed it. Maybe it, it just the timetable was off. Whatever. So. I want to err on the side of caution with Kipnis, let him miss a little extra time, who cares, just when he comes back, just be as sure as possible that he's ready, and again, I'm not suggesting that the Indians did that with Brantley, um, but after seeing what happened with Brantley, I would rather there be a looser timetable than an aggressive one, because Jason Kipnis is so important to what the Indians are trying to do this year, but, but obviously it's great to see Michael Brantley back on the field, and Producing. I mean, he already has an RBI. And then, and then of course, Zimmer uh, kind of shades of Tyler Naquin last year, you know, the guy who kind of got on here because, yay, all three outfielders were injured or suspended uh, to start last season. So uh, Naquin made the most of his opportunity. I don't necessarily think that's going to happen for Bradley Zimmer. Uh, so he might not get a chance to to play in the majors until later in the year, but it's certainly encouraging to see him uh, have a good spring training uh, because it could just be another uh, prospect in what's becoming a very strong pipeline over the last few years with Lindor, now Naquin, uh, Jose Ramirez coming up as well. Uh, so some very, very positive developments on the offensive side. We've seen the pitchers come through, but but finally we're starting to get some bats come out of the minors, and I think that that's, that's something that's been sorely needed for a long time.
0: Yeah, definitely. I I think the the Indians are going to take extreme caution with Kipnis just because Brantley's injury is so similar. Um, I did read that Kipnis usually has a sore shoulder in spring training. Um, and he just is able to play through it and it goes away. But for some reason, this just has continued to inflame. So hopefully, it's nothing more but just a little bit of rest and and that inflammation will go down. But uh, we'll certainly keep you posted on. Happenings in Indian spring training and and opening day is creeping up closer and closer and soon it'll be upon us uh, sooner than you think. Um, Checking in with the Cleveland Browns now, Chris, there are some shots being fired from head coach or former head coach, Butch Davis uh, in regards to uh, Randy Lerner and and, uh, what happened when, uh, you know, he gave an interview and had some uh, very, you know, eye popping quotes about uh, Randy Lerner taking over, the franchise uh, after Al Lerner passed away, and the conversation uh, Randy Lerner had with Butch Davis uh, in that offseason right after the Browns made their only uh, post expansion postseason appearance, um, really throws Randy Lerner under the bus and, and calls him out for uh, you know running the team in in a in a bad direction. Uh, Chris, what, what are your thoughts uh, about these comments uh, coming out? You know, almost you know going on over. Almost 15 years now uh, after it happened.
1: Yeah. Well, first off, I mean it's nothing that's that's shocking, um, because I mean the the record speaks for itself. There there's obviously a lot of problems with the Browns during the Randy Lerner years. Um, I, I, you know, I'm trying to read through Butch Davis's comments. Um, certainly understand that he was very frustrated with what happened right after they made the playoffs. But but the one thing I didn't that didn't wrap my head around, is that when he said in his quotes, you're $33 million over the salary cap and you've got five weeks to get under. I don't necessarily think that's a Randy Lerner problem. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, Bob, but the, the NFL is a hard cap. You can't be over the cap at all. Al Lerner, Randy Lerner, I don't necessarily think that element would matter. You'd still have to get under the cap and, and all those cuts that they made you know they had to cut a lot of veterans in the aftermath of that playoff season because of the cap situation they were in. You know Dwayne Rudd was making about five million. Uh, some of the other guys who were contributing, they lost a lot of linebackers. I think all three starters. So the the I don't necessarily think it's it was Randy Lerner's fault that they were in that situation to enter the year. Um, maybe it was just one of those situations where a new owner. New Face delivering the bad news and, you know, things just kind of fell apart. Now, what I do really highlight here is that according to Butch Davis, Al Lerner, Randy's father, told him he has 10 years to turn the franchise around and the son said, we're not doing one thing the way my father did. So obviously a huge culture change there. Um, clear, clearly a lot a lot went on there i mean bob i don 't think we need a, we need to be a genius in psychology to figure out that the Browns have not been the most well run franchise in the NFL I mean, the record speaks for itself, the turnover speaks for itself the The lack of vision speaks for itself. Um, it is refreshing to see a front office in the last two seasons seem to be on the same page with its coaching staff and everyone buying into a unified philosophy and sticking to it for more than just five seconds. So, I, yeah, none of this really surprises me. Um, but I don't know. I don't know if I'm, I'm hanging the $33 million over the cap on Randy Lerner when he just takes over the team. I mean, you still have to get under the cap anyway. I, I don't think that that reality would have changed no matter who owned the Browns.
0: Yeah, I think those roster decisions had had to be made. Um wh- whether it was, you know, Randy Lerner, according to this quote, required that the the guys that Bush Davis cut be the the veterans, but those seem to be the most obvious choices to to get under the cap. Those are the guys making the most money with the with the easiest way to to uh supplement your cap hits. Um, you know, the, I I'm reading an article here that says that it was probably more like $23 million, but still um that mandate doesn't seem I, I agree with you that that seems to be yeah that that's a mandate but I don't think that was something that you know an owner can use at his discretion I think that's just the league rules you got to get under the cap or you're going to face uh, serious penalties and won't be able to maneuver at all um, so I don't know it, it it goes both ways I can see uh, you know Butch Davis coming off a playoff appearance a new hotshot owner taking over for his father Um, And then implementing all these new rules, I could see how that rubs you the wrong way for sure. And obviously there was some uh, bad blood between the two with, with the way uh, Carmen policy was ousted and whatnot. But um, yeah, I, I mean, I nothing good after that playoff appearance happened. So uh, Butch Davis, he didn't exactly coach his way to staying around, you know, after that playoff appearance, he had a very poor season I think they went they they won five games and then he resigned the year after that Um, so like everyone is to blame (laughs) nobody did any good I don't think if I don't think Dwayne Rudd would have saved uh, their season (laughs) uh, if he were still on the team so um, I find it interesting that these comments are coming out now I don't see what good they do but hey, I mean, if there's bad blood there, they're going to come out at some point. So now we're talking about
1: it. Yeah, I I think two things to take away is, one, Randy Lerner ousting Carmen Policy. I'm still not 100% sure if he technically fired Carmen Policy. I thought Policy stepped down after that season rather than before it, but – I uh, had to double-check on that. But either way, to, to come in and look at a guy who won four Super Bowls and look at a team that just went to the playoffs and seemed to be going on the up, why you would shake up the culture is beyond me. So so that is certainly on Randy Lerner. But let's not exonerate Butch Davis for going with Kelly Holcomb over Tim Couch. I mean, that was a big part of why things fell apart and why they went 5-11 and 11 immediately following their playoff appearance. So, let, let you know, it's not like Butch Davis... You know, he, he made some decisions as well that contributed to the problem the following year. Um, again, we're never going to know what truly happened because Bush Davis is going to have one story. Randy Lerner is going to have another. Needless to say, ownership and the front office was not on the same page.
0: Yeah, I think that's a good good summary for, for that time of the Browns and probably for uh, their entire post-expansion era. Maybe they're getting in sync now, but I don't know um last little bit of news from the Browns they did sign a kicker in Brett Maher uh spending the last three years in the Canadian Football League um they, they did have some kicking issues have had uh sub par or sub Phil Dawson par kicking since Phil Dawson has gone uh Chris I, I don't know much about this guy what What do you think about adding him
1: I don't know anything about him uh Cody Parkey wasn't awful other than that Miami game he he actually turned it around as the year went on I didn't think he was terrible but the problem is it's the ghost of Phil Dawson, man. Phil Dawson is just so good that that it's going to take uh, one heck of a kicker to really live up to his standard in Cleveland now.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think that's really we, – we got spoiled with a quality kicker. It was about the only good thing we had going for us. Um, and I think Cleveland is a hard place to kick in, and Phil Dawson was fantastic in it. So, um, yeah, it's uh, big shoes to fill for sure. Uh, maybe this guy from Canada will, will work out.
1: And, yes, that, that's a very good point, too, about Cleveland being a hard place to kick, in. a lot of kickers have uh, mentioned that in, their, in kicking yep. here. Not just Browns ones either. <laughs> yeah, well, when you're, we're on,
0: when you're on the lake like that, you know, I imagine the wind is not the most easy thing to navigate. Um, but checking in uh, down south in Columbus with the NHL, our Columbus Blue Jackets, one of two teams in the NHL to reach the 100-point threshold that's a good indicator that they are uh, NHL playoff bound, which is a fantastic uh, turnaround for the Blue Jackets, who uh, have been uh, steeped in mediocrity over over the years. Uh, from what I can uh, remember, I, I don't remember them having a whole lot of success. So, uh, you know, we talked about them a little bit earlier in the season when they had that fantastic, uh, historic uh, winning streak, and now they're uh, you know closing the deal on what has been a fine season. Uh, eclipsing that 100-point threshold mark. Chris, I mean, it has has to be exciting to see the Columbus Blue Jackets uh, have some success finally.
1: Super exciting, man. First off, it it stinks that the other 100-point team is in their division, and the Penguins are at 99 points. Three teams from every division make the playoffs. If they were in the other division in the Eastern Conference, they probably would have clinched a playoff spot by now because they'd be so far ahead of that other team. But the... It, it, yes, this is super exciting to see Columbus have success. They've they been marred in mediocrity for a very long time. Uh, they, they The only time I can remember was maybe five or six years ago. They got to the playoffs and then were swept by Detroit, which even more shocking, the Detroit Red Wings only have 67 points. They are the second worst team in the Eastern Conference. That That is unheard of. They're like the St. Louis Cardinals or San Antonio Spurs of the NHL. Very consistent, very strong franchise. Uh, but it, yeah, it is awesome to see Columbus at 100 points. Pro- definitely going to be in the playoffs. I don't see how they, they not make it with, with the record and, and point total they have. Uh, but what's going to stink is that in the first round, uh, they are likely going to face either the Capitals, Penguins, or Rangers unless they win the division and get a wild card from the other division. Uh, so, yeah, that's going to be a very tough draw uh, if they don't win that division. So, uh, yeah, good luck with that
0: yeah yeah that, that uh that's unfortunate <laughs> uh the two best teams are, are, are in the same division vine for that spot um so their head coach though i mean he's had two other 100 point seasons uh john tortorella he won the stanley cup in 2004 with tampa bay uh then he lost the eastern conference finals in 2012 with the rangers uh that that's a good sign right i mean not only are, are the blue jackets playoff bound but you know maybe just even despite the the unfortunate side of being in the same division as Washington, uh, th- this the, the coach knows how to coach in the
1: playoffs, right? Oh, yeah. John Tortorello is one of the best coaches in the league. Uh, those other 200-point seasons were the ones you were referencing. He's had a lot of success um, almost everywhere he's gone. And, and just, just for perspective, I mean, he took over the Blue Jackets midway through last season. Uh, they only had 76 points last year and 34 wins. Now they have 100, and you know the season isn't even over yet. They still have um, 11 games to play. 47 wins, 18 losses, 6 overtime losses, 100 points. So this is one heck of a turnaround. Uh, I don't see how he doesn't win Coach of the Year. I don't know what, what kind of award, how they do it in the NHL, how the voting works. But when you look at that kind of a turnaround, to go from worst to first in the conference... And in the entire league, only two teams have 100 points in the entire league, so they're tied for the best point total in the entire league. After scoring 76 last year, I, I don't see how he doesn't win Coach of the Year.
0: Yeah, I would, I would think he's a lock, like you said, but uh, I I don't know enough about NHL postseason awards to to know what the criteria are. But it seems like he has a strong strong case to to, to be Coach of the Year for sure. Um, well. The uh, biggest news from the weekend, Chris, uh, is that I got Mike Trout with the third pick in our fantasy baseball draft.
1: Yeah, that is big news. You should thank your general manager for getting him, for having the awareness yeah. to make that pick, to to think on the fly there and uh, you know react to the market trends. Uh, whoever was drafting your team, whatever GM you employed, is clearly the most brilliant fantasy baseball mind yeah. in the history of fantasy baseball.
0: Well, it, you know, the, the draft is one part of it, but, uh, you know, it has to produce and, you know, the record has to reflect that. So we will see. But uh, yes, thank you so much for uh, helping me draft <laughs> over the weekend. I wasn't able to make it. Um, so you, you stepped in and helped draft my team with a little bit of input from me, but uh, I'll give most of the credit to you for sure.
1: I had to draft three teams. I had to shadow for our cousin Brian and then my own team. Uh, towards the end there, it got really crazy because the last like nine rounds of a fantasy baseball draft are constant brain freezes uh, of just who do I take. And I had to go through that three times <laughs> every round. Uh, it got It got really tough. Uh, towards the end there, not not to make people feel sorry for me, but it was it was it, it was tougher than I thought it was. Um, I ended up with Clayton Kershaw, Bryce Harper with my first two picks, so pretty satisfied with that. It was about what I expected would happen. Um, you know, I normally don't like taking a picture really high, but um, there were about three big hitters that I would have been satisfied with Goldschmidt, um, Donaldson, or Harper. That I figured I'm just going to go get the by far the best pitcher and then wrap around and 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 get whoever's left over because i knew the guy with the wrap around would take two of them
0: yeah well fantasy baseball i I love it uh just means that we're one step closer to uh actual mlb games being played opening day which is fantastic i mean spring is the first day of spring right now so um the weather is right around the corner uh it's a good season of change uh, and i love the doing that draft and and hanging out with you guys and talking i was sad that i i had to miss it
1: opening day, I think, is a week from next weekend. So, uh, yeah, yeah, we're about two weeks away. It'll be fun. Next week, we're going to have a lot of uh, – we're going to have to make some predictions next week. Yeah,
0: yeah, definitely. And that that will be uh, fantastic for sure. Um, all right, well, let's close it out with uh, our headline that we'd like to see this week.
1: This week, you know what? I'd like to see U.S. knocks off – or wins the World Baseball Classic. I, I don't know who they're going to end up playing. Probably Puerto Rico, but – U.S., bring it home. You're in the semifinals, win two more games, win the World Baseball Classic. That is the headline I would like to see.
0: Yeah, that'd be a fantastic headline, and I'm going to do my best to tune in uh, to when they play Japan uh, in that semifinal. Uh, My headline, uh, sticking with baseball, I want to see Michael Brantley hit a home run. Uh, He didn't hit any... You know, he played limited games, not a whole lot uh, last season, but he didn't hit a home run uh, at at all uh, in his uh, appearances, and that was you know when he was still playing that was a concern because people thought that maybe his shoulder wasn't 100%. I think if he has that power and exhibits that power then, you know, Brantley is is on the road back to being 100% to being the player that he was a year and a half ago. I think that
1: would be fantastic news. And I forget who drafted him, but it got him late cuz he fell because of that injury. So, if Michael Brantley bounces back to what he was before that injury, that could be uh huge in fantasy baseball too not just real baseball fantasy baseball yeah. <laughs> but i'm excited for baseball i mean how can you not be as a cleveland indians fan it's it's going to be fun but uh we're definitely going to be talking a lot about it next week because that'll be the week leading into opening day so certainly looking forward to chatting a lot of baseball next week and uh making some incorrect predictions about the world series because i never picked the world series but until then, you can catch up on all our old podcasts at Roadsports.com. You can subscribe to Clee Talk by searching Fenley Road Sports in iTunes and clicking the Clee Talk link, or you could go to FenleyRoadSports.com and just click the iTunes icon we got there in the upper right-hand corner for you. We thank you for your support. Appreciate you tuning in every week to another episode of our favorite sports, Cleveland Sports Talk. Hope you come back next week. More baseball. Hopefully, the Cavs will play this week. No controversy around resting, but uh, until then, go Browns, go Cavs, go Indians, go all of them. Just just have fun and go Blue Jackets too. I, I, I'm I'm in a giving mood today, Bob. Just go everyone. All right, I'll see you, Chris. I'll talk to you soon. <laughs> Take it easy, Bob.